0: Apollo is working to ensure a bright, bold future, financing solutions to some of the most complex challenges the world is facing. Apollo, investing in tomorrow, today. Learn more at Apollo.com. What's good, everybody? I'm Dion Roboen for The Wall
1: Street Journal, and this is WSJ's Take on the Week, the show where we break down the most important things to watch in business and financial news. We cut through the noise to get you ready for what matters. I know you could have been anywhere in the world, but you're here with me, and I appreciate that. The Federal Reserve's meeting last week got investors convinced that the rate-hiking cycle is over. That pushed stock prices up for the seventh consecutive week, with the Dow Jones Industrial Average touching a new record high above 37,000. This week, we'll test investors' resolve as we get the Fed's favored measure of inflation, the Personal Consumption Expenditures Report, or PCE. If inflation keeps falling in line with what we saw from last week's CPI inflation report, it could give stocks and other risk assets like crypto or high-yield bonds another leg up. But what if inflation doesn't keep falling? And what about reports that have shown falling disposable income and rising debt in recent months? We'll talk through all of that and more with the chief economist at payroll services provider ADP, Neela Richardson. Plus, online car retailer CarMax and shipping giant FedEx are set to report earnings this week. Both companies have a new competitor, the $1.5 trillion behemoth known as Amazon. Amazon. The e-commerce company announced plans in late November to start selling cars on its website in 2024. And just a couple weeks before that, WSJ reporter Dana Mattioli reported that Amazon has become the largest delivery company in the U.S. So how serious is Amazon about selling cars and delivering packages? And how scared should CarMax, FedEx and other competitors be? We'll get into all of that with the reporter who knows Amazon better than just about anyone else. But first, let's talk about the economy. The strength of the U.S. economy this year has been a very pleasant surprise. And the biggest driver of that surprisingly strong economy has been the surprisingly strong American consumer. But if you dig into some recent data, there's reason to worry that the American consumer has been skipping leg day. Never skip leg day. The New York Fed's latest report showed credit card debt rose by the largest amount on record last quarter, and total credit card debt reached a new record high. At the same time, the U.S. personal savings rate is at less than half its historical average, and data from Moody's Analytics shows that Americans earning less than $71,000 a year have seen their disposable income, meaning how much income they've got after taxes, decline for the last six quarters in a row. That's a year and a half. Much of that disposable income is being eaten away by still high prices at the grocery store, a still unaffordable housing market, and still rising costs for things like medical care and transportation. The job market has also stopped looking so red hot over the last few months, as most industries have either brought hiring to a standstill or started making cuts. Whenever I want to understand what's happening with jobs, the economy, and inflation— I know there is no one better equipped than ADP chief economist Neela Richardson, who joins me now. Neela, I want to talk about a couple reports that don't normally get a lot of attention. Uh, And one is even comes out every week. And most of the time it just sort of goes by and no one really notices, especially lately. That's the initial jobless claims, right? The initial jobless claims report is still historically low, but those numbers are starting to rise. And then we've seen continuing claims hit a two-year high recently. That's jumped up by about 50% over the last 14 months. So I know you watch all the data. Is this a report that you're concerned about?
2: Concern is not something that I would attribute to this report yet. And I think that's Mm. the key word yet. Um, As you know the initial jobless claims are still very low. But also, as I'm sure you're well aware, Dion, that these are very bumpy numbers. They go up and down all the time. And so it's hard to read too much into one week or two weeks of data, I tend to look at monthly averages, which have been very, very low. But what the continuous claims suggest um and we, we would love to, to understand that even more, is that it's taking a bit longer to find a job. And yeah. that is part and parcel with this labor market that is not as tight as it used to be. It's harder to find positions. It's harder for that match process to occur. And so for people who have been laid off or, 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 and are looking, it seems to be taking longer than it did exactly. maybe last year.
1: And what do you make of that? Because obviously that's what the Fed and Chair Jerome Powell have said they want to see. As an economist who watches this and who watches this very closely, what's your take on that?
2: Well, if I'm sitting at the Fed, I'm very happy with the labor market. This is a market that's been the biggest support system for the Fed, in my opinion. It's allowed the Fed to push interest rates up to 22-year highs and still maintain both a very active and robust economy and a very stable and healthy labor market with unemployment, dipping down again to the 3.7% near record lows. So um, when the Fed assesses its next policy move, and I know there's a lot of chatter that you might want to get into about that, uh, one thing they don't have to worry about is the labor market, at least right now, the labor market is solid. Uh, But within the labor market, it's not just one note. This is a symphony of different chords to carry the, the analogy instruments and music. And you're seeing some soft, within this overly, overall healthy labor market. I'd point to manufacturing, for example. Lots of weakness in manufacturing. It's been weak all year. I'd point to construction, another interest rate-sensitive sector. There's plenty of demand, especially for residential housing. But with fewer employees to meet that demand and uh, builders being facing higher interest rates, it's harder for them right now. And then you look at, on the services side, um, financial services or professional business services. They've had pretty choppy hiring all year long. And finally, the, the former stalwart of the labor market, leisure and hospitality, the one that's really carried the torch for the labor market recovery. We've seen softness in ADP data for the past three months. So there's no clear dominant leader in the labor market right now. And that's something to, to really be concerned about next year.
1: The Fed's favorite inflation gauge, PCE, is also out this week. Are you expecting inflation to continue to cool?
2: I do think inflation will cool, but I don't think it will cool enough to get all the way back to the Fed's comfort zone of the 2% target. And one of the reasons I think that is that I think wage pressures will persist. Yes, they've come down a lot over the last year. But when you look at rigorous, uh, fine-grained data like we do at ADP, and you are able to match individuals over a course of a year or more, what you see is that in terms of year-over-year wage growth, we're about double the rate of growth that we were before the pandemic. And so Mm. those wage pressures make it very hard to achieve a 2% target. And then you add in global supply chains and other elements uh, of the current economic dynamics that could keep inflation higher for longer. The math doesn't generally uh, accord with a 2% inflation target. And then the final piece on this is even if we get closer to that 2% target, which I still think is in doubt, it doesn't mean it stays that way. I think Mm. uh, what a lot of market commentators miss is that just touching down doesn't mean you've landed. You have to stay there at 2% for a while. And and mm-hmm. um with wage pressure still very very persistent, I don't think that the touchdown is permanent.
1: Touching down doesn't mean you've landed. That's a bar, Nila.
2: <laughs> well, uh it's true. We've we've seen that experience, right? And I think um when it comes to inflation, the world's not used to that. We had A decade of pretty sleepy inflation going into the pandemic, more than a decade, actually. Coming out of it, it doesn't mean that inflation goes back to sleep at 2% again. Um, I think it, it rises and falls, and it means that you have a Fed that's always on alert.
1: We're going to take a break, but we'll be right back with
0: more from ADP chief economist Neela Richardson. When it comes to building and financing stronger businesses, Apollo does the heavy lifting by providing customized capital solutions to drive innovation and growth. Apollo, investing in tomorrow, today. Learn more at Apollo.com.
1: We are back. I'm talking with Neela Richardson. She is ADP's chief economist and head of the ADP Research Institute. Neela, let's get back to it. You talked about PCE inflation, and we'll get the data on that as part of the personal income and outlays report that's out on Friday. It's also got a bunch of data on real disposable income, you know, how much people are earning, how much they're spending. When you look at that report, what's the piece of data or the number that you'll be looking at most closely, aside from the PCE inflation number?
2: I think spending is important. It's always important as a a trigger of the economy and whether consumers are are spending to make up inflation or spending uh, beyond inflation will be important. It's also a number that's very supported by the labor market. Um, Without a robust labor market, you can't get consumer spending that has been as resilient and growth producing as as it's been. So it gives you a sense of where inflation is going, but it also gives you a sense of where the economy uh, can go as well, especially if we think there's going to be softness in the fourth quarter and slower growth in 2024.
1: And that slower growth you're expecting in 2024, that's still slower positive growth, right? Or is that slower growth getting into negative growth?
2: Yeah, I don't see a recession. I, I know I, I'm a little downbeat for your investor <laughs> audience when it comes to inflation. <laughs> They're very excited right now. But I'm a little upbeat when it comes to the economy. And and the reason is because the labor market has been so robust. I mean, we're still looking at under 4% unemployment rate. That's pretty astounding. Um, We're still looking at a fairly resilient consumer. Uh, So yeah, there's Things that I I am concerned about, I'm concerned about high mortgage rates and first-time homeowners. I'm concerned about small business loans and higher interest rates. Uh, But in terms of the, the growth of the U.S. economy based on consumer spending and the labor market staying pretty solid right now,
1: I think we're seeing that. When it comes to work and the way that the labor force is changing, what are some big changes you see there?
2: So there's going to be fewer workers, but that doesn't mean it's a smaller economy. It just means that there's fewer people and those people are likely going to have to be paid more to support this bigger economy. And that is inflationary.
1: And is that a one-year, five-year, 10-year trend? What do you say when you talk about a more inflationary economy? I think it's a pretty
2: persistent future trend.
1: We used to hear as
2: an economist that aging demographics was actually deflationary. As people got older, they spent less and there was less need for goods and services in the economy. I don't see that now. I see people retiring and going on trips and buying bigger houses and doing all kinds of consumption forward behavior. All of that leads to an economy where even if you're not working, you're still consuming a lot. And I think over time, that means that it's harder to put inflation back in the bottle than it used to be. We've closed the book on a decade-long slumber of inflation. And while we might get through this cycle closer to 2%, I have my doubts, but we could get there. It's unlikely that we are going to experience another decade-long slumber in inflation at 2%.
1: That's interesting because inflation below 2% had been really good for markets.
2: Yeah, it it does give a nice buffer and boost to markets. I I think that innovation does too. Interest rates have done a lot of work for markets and for returns. But there are other phenomena. There's technology. I think productivity is the answer for everything. Uh, A more productive... Economy is one where corporate earnings soar, worker wages grow, and the standard of living globally gets higher. And I think that's kind of the new low interest rate going forward. It's about, and it's going to continue to be about productivity and how technology can boost productivity.
1: That was ADP chief economist and head of the ADP Research Institute, Neela Richardson. When we come back, I'll tell you about the biggest delivery company in the U.S. and what FedEx's now former CEO said about them. Here's a hint. It's Amazon. And he didn't think they'd be the biggest delivery company in the U.S.
0: Apollo is working to ensure a bright, bold future, financing solutions to some of the most complex challenges the world is facing. Apollo, investing in tomorrow, today. Learn more at Apollo.com.
1: One more thing before we get out of here. This week, CarMax and FedEx report earnings. But it's not them I'm interested in so much as the competitor they now have in common, Amazon. WSJ reported in mid-November that Amazon has become the largest delivery company in the U.S., surpassing UPS and FedEx. Then Amazon announced a couple weeks after that that users will soon be able to buy cars on Amazon.com. Selling cars on the Internet has been a big piece of what CarMax does. And on the day Amazon made its car announcement, CarMax's stock dropped 5.5%. Is having Amazon as a competitor really that scary? I asked Dana Mattioli, who is the journal's Amazon reporter, and here's what she had to say.
3: That's a, it's a well-established trend. Um, when Amazon bought Whole Foods in 2017, that entire grocery sector's stock prices got hit. When there were rumbles that Amazon could get into healthcare, healthcare stocks would go down. Blue Apron, their stock hit like an intraday low on a day that it was announced that Amazon had filed a patent for um, meal delivery kits. So there's like this long-established trend of shareholders really discounting anyone who is in Amazon space as the incumbent.
1: We reached out to CarMax and the company declined to answer our questions, but it did release a statement when Amazon announced that it was getting into the car sales space, saying that it wasn't surprised and that it largely sees Amazon as an online sales lead generator for car dealerships. CarMax, which is the nation's largest retailer of used cars, said that it is confident in its business model. So that's the way Carmax sees it. I asked Dana if the company's top executives should be worried.
3: Yeah, absolutely. And I'd be surprised if they weren't already speaking about this in their boardroom for years before Amazon ending this deal. Lots of CEOs and boards are naturally skeptical about whether and when Amazon will enter the space, and for Carmax, it looks like that when is
1: next year. As for FedEx, in 2016, FedEx's then-CEO, Fred Smith, described the idea of Amazon becoming a threat to his company as, quote, fantastical. FedEx says that quote was taken out of context and that its founder and chairman admires Amazon and the way it has changed retailing. A FedEx spokesperson also said that Amazon and FedEx are based on two different business models. Amazon is a retailer that delivers its own items in the US, while FedEx uses its global network to deliver packages for customers small, medium and large. Here's what Dana heard during her reporting about Amazon's move to the top of the US delivery industry.
3: We obviously spoke to FedEx and UPS and what they told us is that, you know, they're not focused as much on volume but profitability. Mm. Um, But the interesting part of that is Amazon is focused on volume, but also profitability. We were able to listen to a recording of a recent all-hands they had where one of the logistics heads told the audience that Amazon's one- and two-day shipping or same-day shipping are some of the most profitable packages that they deliver. So Amazon's been able to sort of do both. And it's, it's just something that the other logistics carriers are definitely behind on.
1: So this week, I'll be watching FedEx and CarMax's earnings calls to see if they talk about Amazon. If you own stock in Amazon, CarMax, or FedEx, you might want to do the same. And that's everything you need to know to take on the week for Sunday, December 17th. We're taking next week off, but we'll be back on December 31st with a special episode looking forward to 2024. You won't want to miss it. This show is produced by Jess Jupiter. Jonathan Sanders is our booking producer. We had help this week from Melanie Roy. Michael Laval, and Jessica Fenton are our sound designers. Michael also wrote our theme music. Aisha Al-Muslim is our development producer. Scott Salloway and Chris Zinsley are the deputy editors. And Falana Patterson is the head of news audio for The Wall Street Journal. For even more, head to WSJ.com. I'm
0: Dion Rabon. Stay smart. Apollo is working to ensure a bright, bold future, financing solutions to some of the most complex challenges the world is facing. Apollo, investing in tomorrow, today. Learn more at Apollo.com.